Hello everyone, thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a good day so far. This webinar will give you an overview of the new Guide to Road Tunnels Part 4, Retrofitting Tunnels and the requirements for developing a project to upgrade a road tunnel. My name is Eliz and I'm the moderator in today's webinar. You can contact me through the question section located in your sidebar if you need any technical assistance. Also, it acknowledges the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting and where our presenter is based. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Also, it also acknowledges and respects the Treaty of Waitangi and Māori as original people of New Zealand. This webinar is proudly brought to you by Osroads. We are the peak organisation of Australasian road transport and traffic agencies. We support our member organisations, those listed here, to deliver an improved road transport network. Here at Osroads, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This Osroads project is administered by the Assets Program. Here is our usual format for our webinars. The presentation component will go for around 40 minutes. After that, we'll have a Q&A with our presenter for 15 minutes. We record all of our webinars and I'll email you once it's been uploaded on our website and also on our podcast. If you'd like a copy of the slides that we're using, you can download it from your webinar sidebar. We encourage you to send any questions or comments you have for our presenter. It's quite simple. Just open up your sidebar and type your questions or comments into the question section shown here. To give us some background and context to your question, please let us know the slide number it relates to if possible and we'll go back to it in the Q&A. So just a month ago, we published part four and you can download it on our website. To make it easier for you, you can download it in the handout section in your sidebar and you could also access all of our guides and publications for free on our website. Simply create an account on our website to have access and also sign up for Roadwatch publication and webinar email alerts. So now I'd like to introduce Les, our speaker, who will be sharing his wealth of wisdom on the topic. Les Lewis is the principal author of the Guide to Road Tunnels Part 4, following on from the development and revisions of Parts 1 to 3. He has had a lifetime of experience in highway engineering and in developing manuals and technical guides. Les has also contributed to other Osteroids guides. Hi Les, how are you today? Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And so now Les will present from this point on and he'll let you know the agenda that he'll be covering. Okay, thanks, Liz. Um, okay, well, today uh, we're going to be looking at part four. I'll give you some uh, background of the project and what the scope and content of the guide is and a couple, mention a couple of case studies with a bit of a summary at the end. And of course, we have the Q&A following that. The whole team involved is shown on the slide. I won't go through that in, in detail. Um, and uh, the location of the people involved are shown on, on, on the map. Two slides uh, covering that. In developing the guide, uh, it's basically under control of the Tunnel Technology Review Panel. And of course, uh, there was a major literature review looking at the learnings from previous projects and we had input from um, Australia's task members as well. The process involved um, input from many specialists in tunnel design, construction and operation. The final result is a distillation of the knowledge of those specialists combined with information from international sources with many years experience in this work. 
and apart from the members of the task force, input was received from all of the Australia's members, the Australian Tunnelling Society, Australian Tunnelling Operators Group, ARB, uh, Australian Fire or AFAC, and uh, the World Road Association, which was used to be known as PIARC. Today, I uh, will give you an overview of the Guide to Tunnels Part 4. Now, this presentation of necessity is quite general in nature and intends only to in introduce you to the content and intent of the publication. It's not a training uh, exercise in how to develop a retrofitting project. And any feedback you have would be gratefully accepted. The total guide to road tunnels is now is four volumes. Uh, the well, uh, part one, uh, the introduction to road tunnels, as uh, the most recent edition was 2018. Part two, planning, design, and commissioning. The latest update was 2009, this year, 2019. Part, part three, uh, operation and maintenance, uh, last updated in 2018, and part four has only just been published. Now, why did we have part four? Well, parts one to three provide guidelines on greenfield sites. Now, since many recent projects have been to upgrade a tunnel in some way, rather than the construction of a new tunnel, it's often been found that it's difficult or prohibitively expensive to adopt the same standards as used in greenfield sites. It's necessary for practitioners to have guidelines on the appropriate compromises that can be made and the consequences of those compromises. In addition, some additional considerations have to be uh, thought of, and these include traffic control and safety during, uh, during construction. Can the retrofit be done under traffic? Or is it necessary to close the tunnel to undertake the work? Is it necessary to consider some compromise in design details to allow a practical solution to be developed? And that's why we need part four. The purpose of part four is to provide practitioners with high level assistance when making decisions on whether to uh, adopt a retrofitting refurbishing project or undertake major renewals of assets in the tunnel. It's important that, to note that this is not a how-to guide. It sets out the considerations that must be made and the minimum requirements to be met. The design of any retrofitting or refurbishment has to be done by the relevant specialist. This document provides much information on the source of more detailed information that may be required. I just remind you that um, to send us your questions um, using the necessary dialogue box, etc. And please put the slide number if you have a particular slide in mind down so we'll know what uh, the question relates to. Scope and content of part four. Now, the reasons um, for deciding to ret retrofit, refurbish, undertake a major uh, renewal of some or, or all elements of an existing tunnel um, include Traffic congestion and increase in, in crashes, 
obsolescence of systems, critical damage to systems or structural elements, or deterioration of structural elements or other systems beyond that which could be solved by reasonable maintenance activity. <coughs> There's also guidance given on the process to be used in developing the project and to achieve the acquired objectives. And we also deal with the types of retrofit, refurbishment or major renewal, uh, which are described in, in some detail, and the requirements and standards for those projects are established. Further, the requirements for managing traffic to minimise disruption to road users are discussed. Uh, and we deal with acceptable geometric design standards for retrofit. Managing traffic during implementation of the retrofit will always be a prime consideration and may dictate the way the project is designed. <clears throat> and we'll be discussing that further in, in later slides. This shows the uh, subject matter of the and all the contents. Um, I'll be discussing each of those headings as we go through the slides. In the introduction, um, we've discussed most of this in, in leading up to this. Uh, it basically sets out the structure of the guide to road tunnels, which we discussed, and describes the scope and purpose of the guide to part four. <clears throat> the general requirements section discusses what is done in all of the, um, the volumes. The firstly, is providing a safe system. That's included in all the volumes and describes the principles of the safe system approach to road safety and describes the framework required to achieve the safe system. Research and guidance about the safe system principles is available in the Guide to Road Safety Part 1, Road Safety Overview from Austroad 2013 and from the Austroad website. Now, Systems are provided in the tunnel to provide security of the infrastructure from such things as terrorism and so on. And an operational plan for the use of those systems has to be in place. It has to be developed for every tunnel. And any retrofit of that tunnel has to ensure that those systems are not compromised. Risk analysis is also discussed. Um, as it is in all of the, the volumes, we provide the references for the risk analysis and sets out the issues to be addressed for retrofitting refurbishment project. <coughs> Further general requirements of traffic management during, during the retrofitting refurbishment. Traffic management will be one of the most important considerations, if not the most important, when developing the project and planning its implementation. Can the project be undertaken under traffic? Can it be done with a lane closed? Can a lane be closed at certain times of the day? Can the tunnel be closed completely for any period during a 24 hour period? Those and many other questions will arise in the planning of the project. And testing and commissioning is a very important part of the uh, completion of a tunnel project of any type. It must be remembered that the testing and commissioning phase is very important and the time required for that should not be taken away by overruns in other parts of the project. Easier said than done. 
but the future efficient and safe operation of the tunnel may depend on the successful implementation of that phase. And you can refer to part two of the guide for details of that. Now, when do you need a refit? Or why would, how do you know you're going to need a refit? The introduction of this chapter discusses the signs that a refurbishment's needed and, and talks about the tunnel's inspection regime. And the in inspection regime should be designed to provide information on trends in deterioration of the features of the tunnel. It's important to undertake deterioration or condition assessments as these provide information to enable tunnel operators to identify and undertake any repairs or replacement of features which will minimise disruption to tunnel users. Now, these trends will provide guidance to tunnel owners and operators on the remaining life of components and a likely time frame for their replacement. Now, the process uh, for this is for the development of the refurbishment has been adapted from uh, three sources from the World Road Association 2015, McGavin in 2014, and Rock Arch in Ireland in 2006. And basically, that is, and it's included in detail in the publication, of course, develop the safety file, undertake a complete diagnosis of the existing tunnel, define the safety features, undertake a complete risk assessment particularly of fire and safe, life safety systems, identify and analyze the weaknesses and threats in the existing tunnel, identify a short list of options that addresses the weaknesses and threats, develop the assessment criteria and methodology to be used in assessing the options, identify the preferred option considering the fire and life safety risk, the assessment criteria and whole of life costs, validate the program implement the program and construct any works required. Note that we've introduced this concept of the safety file and which was very successfully used in case study two. And the types of tunnel refurbishment I've dealt with in detail in following slides, so I won't go any further into that. The first one, the first type is traffic capacity expansion. Now, you'll know that you need this if you're getting excessive traffic congestion on the approaches to the tunnel. That's an indication that additional capacity of the tunnel is required. This needs to be confirmed by an overall study of the network to ensure that a balanced solution is achieved. For example, it may be that an improvement in another part of the network will achieve the result required. However, if that doesn't, it is not the case, then there are other alternatives have to be looked at. Firstly, you can have additional tubes and additional tunnels altogether. Uh, you can widen the existing tubes. You can rearrange the uh, lane configuration of the existing tubes. In the rearranging section, we, we discuss the possible reductions in lane and shoulder widths to achieve extra capacity. In other words, getting an additional lane through the tunnel. And of course, that, that involves consideration of the geometric design. And we do provide guidance on possible lane and shoulder widths less than standard widths. Now, there's information available and research documentation to assess the impact on crash rates brought about by reductions in lane widths. And some states have produced guides for work on brownfield sites, and this includes some of this information. 
example of that is Queensland TMR's guideline for road design on brownfield sites. The next type of uh, refurbishing could be traffic management functions. It could include the signs and lighting and traffic management systems. Our signs and signs are um, upgrading may be more frequent uh, than other things um, for a range of reasons, and that can be undertaken at traffic under traffic at low volumes usually. And lighting highlights a possible our discussion highlights a possible <coughs> use of LED systems. <coughs> a reference from Salata and others provides some case studies using LED systems. A further example of the use of LED systems can be found in the refurbishment of the Ayagazaga and Bailabayi tunnels in Istanbul, Turkey. LED lights have been installed in uh, the SH1 Mount Victoria tunnel in Wellington, and prior to that, the Karori tunnel in Wellington City, in the West Connex M4 East, and is to be installed on North, in North Connex and all other stages of West Connex. I did discuss that a little bit further later. Now, traffic management systems include the variable message sign systems, variable speed limit systems, and the electronic systems to control and monitor them. Uh, we highlight the rapidity of changes in those systems, and uh, note, uh, note that this constitutes a major refit of the, in the tunnel. Any uh, change, of course, in the traffic management systems or any upgrading of those requires careful planning and installation, both in the timing and in traffic control. I'll be talking a bit more about that later. In fire and life, life safety, these uh, may be requ uh, required uh, when systems have reached the end of their useful life or when major damage has occurred, or were not installed in the original construction. And in doing this, it must take a systems integration approach and note the impact any uh, upgrading or changes in the fire protection system and so on, uh, has, what the impact of that is on the SCADA and tunnel management systems. Fire protection <clears throat> may be added where it's not previously provided. Be an unusual situation in Australia, but that has happened. Existing system may have been damaged in an incident, be a major fire or other incident may have um, damaged the system. You may need to upgrade the existing system. Now, deluge systems have become the norm in Australian tunnels and in most new tunnels will be installed. It may be the case, however, that an old tunnel did not have this installed and the retrofit can, becomes one of, the in, one of installing a system to the standards required in part two. Uh, misting systems are mentioned. They're, they're, they're being considered more in European tunnels these days, but they've not been favoured here uh, because of high pressure water supply required and the scope for more problems as a result of that. Now, structural fire protection is to ensure the integrity of the tunnel, structural elements in tunnels when exposed to severe fire. It could be applied to both a planned improvement or an addition to the structural fire protection in a tunnel 
or to refurbishment required after a fire. There are basically two types of structural fire protection measures, and one is um, installing linings in the tunnel walls and ceiling. For example, fire protection sheets, and shown in figure 6.1, or sprayed on fire protection, for example, a fire protection render. Mechanical engineering features of a tunnel um, include the ventilation systems and a whole lot of other mechanical engineering components. Uh, overall, they're trying to minimise the number of moving parts, for example, using mains, pressure water supply for deluge and hydrant mains instead of pump systems. It avoids the use of more pumps. And ring main fed high voltage power supply instead of backup generators. That sort of thing will reduce maintenance requirements in the tunnel and place emphasis on inspection and testing. Now the ventilation system may require replacement because of wear and tear or, or major damage. It may come about because of changes in the vehicle fleet um, needing reconsideration of the requirements. In part two, uh, we require the design of the ventilation system to be sufficient for a 20 year period but suggests that a stage orientation sufficient to accommodate the first five years of operation be installed first. So that automatically means an upgrade at the end of the five years. And the design therefore should be suitable to allow an easy upgrading for expected increases in traffic volumes. If the increases are greater than expected, then the design of the system will have to be reviewed. However, it may be that the change in the vehicle fleet means that um, change in the vehicle fleet means that the um, emissions from vehicles is reduced, and that may change the requirements as well. And maintaining the operation of the tunnel during refurbishment is essential. However, the tunnel cannot remain open while the ventilation system is not working and replacement of components therefore has to be organised to occur in off-peak traffic periods with enough time to undertake the necessary tests for commissioning purposes. Appropriate staging may be required, uh, may be required to allow the works to be completed in sections compatible with the time available. It may also be possible for the tunnel to remain open with a degraded ventilation system, e.g. some of the uh, jet fans removed for repair or replacement, but others still in place. If that's to be done, you need to do a risk assessment to undertake the... Um... Now, the other mechanical systems are pumps and pumping stations, crane and hoist systems and lifts, and mostly those can be handled uh, without any effect on the traffic in the tunnel. Electrical, electronic engineering features is a major part of operation of tunnels. The electronic, and as new technology develops, existing supervisory, con supervisory control and data acquisition of SCADA systems may become outdated and may no longer be supported by the provider. It's likely that major refurbishment will also require the, re the upgrading or reconstruction of the SCADA system to ensure compatibility with the new technology introduced. 
consideration should be given to using a dual control system in these cases, that is using the old and the new system in parallel during the transition period. That allows minimum reduction, minimum in, impact on the traffic. The high low voltage supply, electricity supply and distribution. Uh, you may need a retrofitting to uh, bring an existing tunnel up to the standard required in, um, in part two or maybe to increase the power supply, capacity of the power supply to meet the needs of major refurbishment. The other electrical electronic systems include the PA system, radio and mobile phones, radio rebroadcast, closed circuit television, automatic vehicle detection, overhead hyper detection, telephones and speed cameras. The, all those can be uh, updated but having regard to the impact on traffic while you're doing it. Network and systems architecture refers to the overall system for the road network and the necessity for the tunnel systems to fit into that overall system. And we highlight the need to align the refurbishment works with the overall strategy for the network systems. Now other refurbishment and repairs include structural refurbishment. Refurbishment of the structural elements of a tunnel may be required because of cracking of the concrete structure, durability issues with conventional reinforcing. Deterioration of the structural lining of the tunnel caused by ingress of water, causing corrosion and deterioration of the liner. Earth movement, causing cracking of concrete in the liners. It can be durability issues with conventional reinforcement again. Failure or excessive deterioration of supported ceilings and or hangers for elements such as ventilation, fans and lighting. And spalling of rock faces or falling rock fragments in unlined tunnels. Unlined tunnels. As far as cladding is concerned, the replacement of the cladding installed in the regional tunnel may become necessary or it may be necessary to install new cladding where none existed before. In Australia, this would probably be a rare event and could not be achieved where the lining is an integral part of the structure. Architectural panels are a common feature in tunnels in Australia and New Zealand and they are separate from the lining. They may need to be replaced from time to time because of damage or deterioration especially the deterioration of the light reflecting qualities of the surface of the panels. The other elements uh, include ancillary buildings, major sign supports separate from the tunnel itself, and those things are outside the scope of this document. The pavements are designed for a finite life and may need major refurbishment or replacement at the end of that life or sooner if major failures occur. In addition, the asphalt Surfacing often used may require resurfacing more often than the underlying pavement structure. A lot of that work should be possible under traffic by closing one lane at a time and reducing traffic speeds during the closure. And this must be dealt with by pavement design specialists. Our drainage um, components should have been designed and installed to be clear of the normal tunnel operations, if you refer to part two. 
And in those cases, the replacement may be feasible with little or no interruption to tunnel operations. It'll be necessary to ensure that during implementation, any event requiring the drainage system to function is adequately handled. This may mean the use of temporary facilities such as sumps and pumps. Now, replacement of failed or deteriorated facilities will require careful planning to ensure the tunnel is kept safe during any event requiring those facilities. Timing of the implementation to avoid known periods of high frequency events will be required. Manageable activities such as tunnel washing and live emergency simulations must be curtailed during the implementation. Uh, many existing tunnel drainage systems may be undersized as they have been designed for ground and stormwater ingress only. In some tunnels, the longitudinal drains may be embedded in a concrete base, which is an integral part of the tunnel structure. This means that it may not be feasible to replace the pipes due to the time or operational constraints to open up and close any trench in order to have the, the tunnel reopened. Any departures from that have to be recorded in the safety file. Any implementation activity requiring tunnel closure should only occur during low traffic periods, of course. If you refer to section 2.5 for discussion of that. There's a section on energy efficiency, because um, for long-term sustainability and minimization of cost of operations necessary to ensure that the solutions adopted for refurbishment of a tunnel are as energy efficient as possible. One of the references, Peeling and others, uh, state the construction of a road tunnel is energy intensive due to the volume of excavation required and the energy embodied in the materials that form the structure of the tunnel. In operating a tunnel, energy is consumed to provide adequate lighting, signing and ventilation for drivers, to maintain drainage systems and to deal with emergency situations. The long life of tunnels, not more than 100 years, means that the use of energy during operation will probably outweigh that due to construction. Now, as far as ventilation is concerned, you can get improvements in efficiency by improving the efficiency of equipment, for example, jet fans, changing the ventilation system, for example, allowing more or some portal emissions, uh, improving the monitoring and control system to optimise the use of equipment. And you can minimise energy by ensuring that the air quality levels match the requirements at the time of day that you're considering. In other words, you have control systems in there to change the level of ventilation, ventilation depending on the traffic volumes. For lighting, uh, the lighting and control equipment uh, can be improved to improve energy efficiency. You can create reduced demand through design, for example, in the port portal treatments. And you can reduce demand by the reflective properties of pavements and walls. Some of those, are, they are discussed in, the, in a bit more detail in the, in the publication. Requirements are set out in uh, other parts of, of the well, the requirements set out in other parts of the guide, now parts one, two, and three, are relevant to this part as well. Energy efficiency will be achieved by optimising the various elements, which are largely dealt with under ventilation, lighting, drainage, and temperature regulation. 
There's a comprehensive set of references uh, provided, uh, which are referred to in, in developing part four. The text identifies the source of the information, and those sources are generally more comprehensive in their treatment than the, the publication itself. And practitioners uh, should consult the source document for more detail where required. A couple of case studies have been included um, in this. Uh, the first one is the M2 Norfolk Twin Tunnels in Sydney. There's not really enough time in this webinar to deal with, with uh, either of the case studies in any detail. They're major subjects in themselves. The purpose here is merely to identify them as useful examples and leave it to you to read the details at your convenience. This Norfolk Twin Tunnels case study is one where widening of the tunnel was a feasible option. And that's only likely to be an option, where, uh, only likely to be a practical option, where the rock through which the tunnel passes is, is highly competent. In cases where the tunnel relies on lining on the lining for either structural integrity or prevention of ingress of water or both, such widening will not be feasible. In that uh, study, then M2 Norfolk Twin Tunnels, the major issues were the sequencing of the works. Very difficult to control the traffic while they're having, having to widen the tunnel inside. Time available for works allowing adequate traffic operations. Uh, the construction noise and dust control. The monitoring of the construction, of course, and the quality control. The other case study was one from New Zealand, the Terrace Tunnel in New Zealand. It did not uh, include any, any physical widening of the tunnel. It dealt with retrofitting most of the other tunnel operating equipment and systems. And the tunnel refurbishment enhancement process involved development, developing a project safety file, defining safety features, undertaking risk-based assessments of fire and life safety strategies, identifying a short list of options, developing a multi-criteria assessment of the shortlisted options, identifying a preferred option, considering the fire life safety risk, multi-criteria assessment and the whole of life costs. <clears throat> Some constraints on the, um, have, lim have limited the extent of safety improvements that were possible in this project. Uh, for example, there's no, no physical barrier separation between northbound and southbound lanes. Uh, there are portal exits but no constructed escape routes. Ventilation is longitudinal rather than transverse. The structure is not fireproofed and services are located in the roof space. And so what I've covered in this is um, a background of the development of part four, the process for the development, the reasons for the need for part four, the content of part four and some discussion of that, and a brief comment on the case studies. So if you have any questions, please um, do
do them as in accordance with the instructions here, and we'll be happy to answer them. Great, thanks for that, Liz. So yes, now it's time for the Q&A where we'll spend the remaining time answering questions. So audience, feel free to keep the conversation flowing by sending through your questions. So the first question we received is from Michelle and she's asked, how does this guide link to the Osteroids Guide to Road Design? The, well, the Osteroids Guide to Road Design covers a, a wide range of uh, matters including geometric design and drainage in particular and uh, other things. The geometric design is um, largely refers to the cross section and to obviously the vertical and horizontal alignment. Um, that's dealt with in detail in part two of course. And uh, as I said in, in here, the, we discussed the possibility of um, narrowing the, the lanes and shoulders to achieve an extra lane if you have to get an extra lane in total through the tunnel uh, and uh, what those compromises might mean. So I think that's, uh, in, in, a, in an upgrading or refurbishment, refitting, retrofitting project, it's highly unlikely that the horizontal and vertical alignment would be changed. Like it's virtually impossible to do that and so any changes in the geometry will be in the cross-section. And the drainage, uh, it, it's ref we cross-reference the, uh, the guide where required in, um, in, in all of the, the volumes. And drainage, of course, is, uh, is one of the things that is cross-referenced to the Austroids Guide to, to Road Design. Thanks for that, Les. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that one. We have a question from George, and this is in relation to slide 31. Mm -hmm. Yep. Great, thanks for that, Liz. So the question is, if the ventilation stack is cladded with combustible colourful cladding panels, does this cladding need to be removed and replaced? <laughs> well, you might have to ask a structural engineer that. <laughs> uh, I would hope that that's, they're not covered in, in combustible things, I, I, I presume they would be, but I, I mean, that's that's uh, something for the authorities of those particular places. Yeah, thanks for that, Liz. Uh, we'll move on to the next question. So does this guide take into account the likely increase in the number of zero or low emission vehicles? It takes it into account in the sense that it is it is discussed in general terms and, and um, recognise that this is a, a factor in in uh, deciding what level and type of ventilation is required. Um, it's certainly recognise that that has happened and, uh, and there have been quite a few examples where the reduction in emissions from the vehicles um, in the more modern fleet has uh, had a significant effect on the design and implementation of the ventilation system. So the short answer is yes, it does, but it doesn't give you any how-to um, information on it. That's something for the specialist to deal with. Thanks for that, Liz. Moving on to the next question, which relates to slide 40. Yeah. So yep. the question 
relation to this slide is, so is there a lesson learned report from the two case studies presented such that this information can be used in the design of new tunnels? Uh, I'm only aware of the, the paper by Clark on the M2 Norfolk Twin Tunnels, which is a fairly detailed and comprehensive paper and certainly uh, does set it does set out the lessons learned from from that project. Um, I think you'd have to do some interpretation of your own in, in reading the paper, but it's certainly a fairly comprehensive paper in, in discussing all of the factors that were taken into account and the difficulties and problems that they, uh, they met and overcame in that project. But the, the, the reference is listed in the, in the list of references. Great. Thanks for answering, Les. Moving on to the next question. So this question is, are there any special considerations needed to protect workers in tunnels or can general temporary traffic management guidelines be used? And, uh, oh, well, you, you need to use a temporary management guidelines, of course, but no, there are um, special requirements. Uh, there, there are publications in at least uh, some states, uh, New South Wales and Queensland have, have specific workplace health and safety guidelines for, for tunnels. Uh, the um, one major um, factor in construction of tunnels, of course, is the ventilation during construction and, and that, that uh, has to be highly uh, considered. Uh, and, and another problem that has emerged, of course, is the dust um, ingestion of dust or particles and so on, uh, which can be just as uh, damaging as those from mines. So uh, those matters have been dealt with in, I'm pretty sure they're dealt with in part two, um, in certainly the the references or the uh, the standards required are referenced in that uh, in that volume. Thanks for that, Les. And we have another question, which is, are any road tunnels generating energy for their operational requirements, perhaps through geothermal generation? I'm not aware of geothermal um, operation. There's certainly uh, some solar energy uh, has been used for, or has been used for producing power for some tunnel um, requirements. Uh, that's um, that's as far as I'm aware. I don't, I'm not aware of any geothermal ones, but uh, certainly the the question of using um, energy from the tunnel for uh, reduction of overall energy or improvement energy efficiency is certainly being considered. Thanks for that one, Les. So to our audience, that's all the questions which have come through for the Q&A. So we'll end this session early. However, please don't log off yet. I'd like to go through some final closing slides. So here is a list of the webinars that we'll be running in the coming weeks. And if you haven't already, we encourage you to sign up for a webinar we have coming up on dangerous goods in tunnels. We recently published a report that proposes an approach to allow road managers to compare the benefits of using a road tunnel to another route on a journey. And in this webinar, you'll learn more about this project. We also have other webinar on mobility as a service and another on key freight routes. So simply head to our website here to register. 
To make sure you don't miss any upcoming news or webinars, please sign up for Roadwatch webinar alerts. So you'll receive future emails on latest publications and upcoming webinars. Just log into your Osteroids account and subscribe to your profile. If you don't have an Osteroids account, you could sign up for free through our website on the login page. So that's it everyone. Thank you for participating today. We'll let you go soon. You can provide us your feedback through our survey, which will come up shortly. And lastly, I also would like to thank our presenter today, Les. So thank you, Les, for answering everyone's questions and presenting today. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. A pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. See you later, everyone. Thanks.